today we're talking about the sixth beatitude. Um, we've been going over a series of the, on the beatitudes for the last couple of months, um, and if you have been with us, you'd know. Or if you haven't, um, the beatitudes are what Jesus uses to start out his Sermon on the Mount, um, and they're kind of these short little sayings. But what they do is Jesus is taking the ideas of um, the Jewish people of how they thought about God, and he, he was twisting them, like saying, you think this about God, but really God is like this. And so the sixth beatitude is called, uh, or it's called, it is blessed are the pure in heart. Um, my subtitle is hand washing is overrated. Um, if you've, it's, a, it's Bible humor, so if you don't know what that means, you should read the Gospels, it's in there. Um, so let's pray, because I already know that I'm off to a goofy start. Um, God, I pray that whatever I say, uh, it would be in your will. If I say anything stupid or untrue, I pray that you correct it and, and let your heart shine through um, what I think you've given me, God. So, uh, yeah, I just pray that, just like the words that were spoken earlier about seeking your face and you bringing freedom and pursuing you and who we are as a child of, uh, of God, uh, I think those all fit into kind of what you've given me here, uh, maybe in a roundabout way, but um, God, I just pray you continue to speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So really quickly, uh, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And today we're going to focus on blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, uh, which you'll find in Matthew uh, 5, 3 through 10. So first off, no duh. Um, pure in heart really seems obvious. And if, you had been, if you've been with us, we've been talking about how Jesus was taking with the Beatitudes things like Blessed are the poor in spirit, which at that time people would have thought, especially the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, well, if you're poor, you're obviously cursed by God. You're not on the in crowd. And Jesus was twisting it, right? He was saying, actually, the poor in spirit are in the kingdom of God. The people that you don't value, I value. But pure in heart seems so like obvious, right? Like, well, of course God wants us to be pure in heart. Um, but if you actually take the context, it's pretty profound what Jesus is saying here. Um, so like the other Beatitudes, Jesus is actually turning what the Jews understood of God uh, upside down. These are a Google search image of Pharisees. So I have no idea if it's historically accurate. I like to think so. Um, so if you, you've heard of the Pharisees, if you've read the Gospel, they're throughout the Gospels. Um, they're the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day. Um, I, I don't want to say they're the bad guys in the gospel because ultimately Satan's the bad guy, right? Jesus comes to overthrow Satan's rule. But they're the antagonists. They're constantly trying to uh, thwart Jesus. Uh, they're hard-hearted. They seem really prideful and self-righteous. They try to trick Jesus into saying things. They, they really are not fans of Jesus because he's challenging all their ideas of they're the leaders, right? This is how God is. And Jesus comes and says, well, you think God's that way, but actually he's this way. And so they were the antagonists, maybe not the bad guys uh, in the gospel. Uh, and ultimately, they're the guys that orchestrated Jesus' death on the cross, right? They decided to conspire because um, he was messing up with, with, uh, messing with their idea of who God was, and he was leading the Jewish people towards a new way of seeing God. Um, so just a little bit of background, and you may already know this, but the Pharisees, they were really strict. 
really strict. They observed the law of Moses. So if you read the Old Testament, there's you know, and the, there's big long list of things that you're supposed to do, can and can't do. But they also followed the traditional oral law. So they held almost on even ground with Scripture, traditional ideas of like righteousness. Um, and when Jesus comes and he's kind of preaching against the Pharisees, that's mostly what he's talking about. He's not talking about, oh, you follow the law so well. Don't do that. He's saying all these traditions, these things that you've added, that, that's what Jesus took issue with. Um, for example, like on the Sabbath, um, you know, you're supposed to rest. God in, in Genesis, God created the earth, he created everything, and then he rests. And he created us to have rest because he knows that we need rest. Um, but the Pharisees would have taken that even further and said, well, like, you have, you have to rest on the Sabbath so much that you can't even work. Like, if you can't walk a certain amount of steps, or like in modern days, there's certain sects of Judaism where, like, you can't push the button on an elevator because that's considered work. So they would take the law of the Scripture and they would extend it farther just to safeguard themselves of, like, I would hate to accidentally break the Sabbath, so I'm going to make these other rules to make sure that I just... Um, and completely safeguarded against that. Uh, and cleanliness. They were very into ritualistic cleansing. You had to clean your hands. That was the hand-washing joke that wasn't that funny. Um, before you ate, they accused Jesus' disciples of being impure and gross because they ate with unwashed hands. Um, and they also rejected those they saw as impure. So if you were less pious, if you were a Jew but like you weren't as strict as them, um, in their eyes you were impure. You, you were not as good as them. Uh, if you are poor or sick, you're obviously under God's curse, so you're out. And it goes without saying, if you were a non-Jew, if you were a Gentile, they'd had as little to do with you as possible. Uh, I'm actually going to skip that part. Uh, but hang on a gosh darn second. So it's easy for us to talk and trash the Pharisees because they do seem like they're the most obvious antagonists in the Gospels. But... They're actually, um, if you look back, Israel had been under foreign rule for like hundreds of years. So Jews were assimilating into secular culture. Um, basically, they, you know, if you read the Old Testament, they had a kingdom. They kind of turned away from God. Things didn't go well. They, they were subservient to other people. In Jesus' day, it was the Roman Empire. Um, and people, Jews, that loved or cared about God saw their people assimilating into culture, giving up the ways of Israel, the ways of their, their faith, giving up on God. And so out of that, the Pharisees arose because they wanted to remain faithful to God, um, to the law, and to Israel. The Pharisees deeply desired to see God. Um, they believed that God would rescue them from the oppression they felt every day under Roman rule. They were waiting for the Messiah, as they waited, the Pharisees buckled down on following the law, pushing further and more stringent ways to keep what they saw as God's will. They hoped that through their faithfulness, God would be compelled to finally save them. So in their context, the Pharisees actually weren't villainous. They were, if you really looked at them, they were those that cared most about God in that culture. They, they did want the Messiah, which we believe Jesus is the Messiah, they were looking for God to come, but because Jesus came in a way they weren't expecting, that's why the issue was there for them. So we're going to try something here. I want you, you don't have to close your eyes, but if you like to close your eyes and you visualize, you can. Uh, think of the most godly person you know. Um, someone that you just think like, oh, I really look up to them. Um, if you're not a Christian, think of someone you think is just like, they're a really good person. 
like if anybody's deserving of acceptance by God, that person deserves it. So try to think of that person in your head. All right, do you have it? You guys have that person? It's me, I know. But um, yeah. So so no, it's you got your person in your head. Oh, don't do that to me. Now imagine God telling you that that person isn't good enough. Whoever you look up to, imagine that God says, yeah, they're, they're actually, they're not getting in. Uh, their, their goodness is not good enough for me. And that you have to be better than them to ensure his kingdom. So imagine you have this idea of what godliness looks like. And God says, Jesus says, yeah, they're not really actually that good. And you have to be better than them for me to accept you. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20. For his listeners, I can only guess, because I didn't live there, that this was like, what the heck? Like, the people that obviously are our leaders, that know you, that are strictly observe the law of Moses and our traditions, you're saying they're not good enough and you say I can be better than them? Like, how the heck? Can I get into the kingdom of God if I have to be better than the Pharisees? Because they were, they were it, right? They were the people that knew God. Um, but what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's going past this idea of purity by what you do to purity of the heart. What's in your heart? A pure, pure in heart equals, this is pretty obvious, but it means clean in your thoughts and intentions or even fully devoted to God. Like not pure like I'm pure and angelic, but pure like, um, like essential oils. You guys like essential oils? Or gold, like it's pure, it's, it's unadulterated, it's, it's fully, it's pure. You're someone that is fully devoted to God in every way, including the inside. The Pharisees seem pure because of their adherence to the law, uh, but Jesus made clear that their kind of purity was not what God wanted, which would have been really scandalous to most of his listeners. Like he was doing with the rest of the Beatitudes, Jesus was killing the Jews' focus on externals. Those close to God are not defined by their circumstances or even actions. You truly can't judge a book by its cover. God's ways are definitely not our human ways. That, for just a second, that, that transition was too quick. All right, snapshots of a young Pharisee. This is a gentleman I know very well. Um, this is Ryan Stahl. Circa 89 or 90. I think this was first grade. I was freaking adorable. Um, the stories, the snapshots I'm going to tell you didn't take place when I was in first grade. I was probably more like eighth grade, but I didn't have a picture of it, and I don't want there to be a picture of it. I didn't look like this in eighth grade. So, uh, so but think young Ryan. Actually had hair, had a mullet. Um, dang, I was good looking. So, uh, so, so, Going back to the Pharisees, they were about legalism, right? They thought, we can make the Messiah come, we can be right with God, we can earn God's favor if we hold to the law, if we are legalistic enough. I don't know if they use that word, but that's the word we use nowadays. They were legalistic. They, they did all the right things. But legalism is insidious, and um, I'm not speaking of those movies that you guys shouldn't watch because I have never watched the movies. And if you don't know what they are, good for you. Uh, but insidious means like a gradual, slowly 
creeping in badness, something bad going, but it's gradual. You like maybe don't notice it at first, but like over time it kind of twists and it, and it changes things for the worse. Um, so I think that legalism, why, why it's bad is it usually starts or often starts with a misunderstanding of who God is. So here's my snapshot of myself as a young person walking with James. Uh, not my brother James, who's awesome, but my, my best friend, uh, James Down. Um, I remember, I don't know if you guys, have you guys been to Tigard, Oregon? Oh, like two people, three people? It's, it's awesome. And um, there's this thing called Highway 99 or Pacific Highway. It just kind of goes, big mean road that goes down it. And I remember with my friend James, we used to walk from my house about half a mile um, to the Christian Marketplace, which was a Christian bookstore back in the days when they had Christian bookstores. Yakima still has one, but they, they've kind of slowly gone away. May they rest in peace. Uh, but we were going to get some awesome music. I don't remember what it was. Probably uh, Supertones or some sort of Christian ska. And anyway, we were walking, and I was in eighth grade about. And I remember walking with James and having this deep, I, I, I think pretty deep, uh, conversation about our faith. We were both really serious about our faith. Um, and talking about, is it is it possible to be sinless? Is it possible to be perfect. Can you achieve perfection as a Christian? Of course, by the grace of God. And um, and I don't remember exactly what James said, but he was usually pretty pretty solid, and he probably said something like, something right, like, oh, I don't think so. You know, like, none of us can ever be perfect, but, you know, God covers us with his, you know, his grace. But I remember, and you have memories where you, like, distinctly remember, like, like even how your body was moving. I was probably, like, kind of strut, strutting because I wanted to, I was cool back then. So, um, and I remember saying something like, actually, I, I think that I like have not sinned in like at least the last few days. Like I, I was certain that I had somehow like kind of achieved this perfection. And I knew like I wasn't perfect, but like I had like had this season of days where I had been without sin. And I wasn't prideful of it because that would be sin. But I was, I was very pleased by it that, um, that I had been without sin. I think that, I mean, I can see my legalism starting when I was young, but I had a misunderstanding of who God was, like that he wanted me to be perfect or that he expected me to be perfect. Even at a young age, I was already going that route, like, and like proud of it, like Pharisees, like I was proud. I'm, I'm one of the, the holy ones. Um, I think also legalism, I think this is the insidious part. It slowly twists us into like the image of what we think God is like. Um, that we have in our heads. Not the image of God like as he really is, but like if we have an idea of who God is um, it, and it's legalistic, it will slowly twist us into that image. We will become more like that idea of God. Um, and so this next snapshot is camping with Rory. This is my sister. Um, Rory's actually my half-sister. She grew up in her mom's house. Um, we have the same dad. Um, and so we had different upbringings. Um, she went to church. I think they went to a, um, a Methodist church. I went to a very charismatic church. Um, we were very evangelical, very, um, what the Bible says sort of, sort of thing. And they were more of a, a liberal social, social justice sort of, um, church. And so we had kind of a different theology or an understanding of God. And I remember camping, and this is another one of these, those where you, like, remember specifically, um, like, where you were. We were, like, 
unpacking our camping stuff. I think it was a family camp or something. And I don't remember what I, like what I was wearing. I do remember I had new glasses. Like I, it was the first time I got glasses, and I hated them. And I was wearing them camping, and I was sweaty. And if you know me, I don't like to be sweaty, and I was messing with my glasses. Um, but I remember somehow uh, the issue of homosexuality came up. Again, eighth, seventh grade, um, and I don't remember. It wasn't even an argument or conversation. I'm sure I was just saying really offensive, trash talking things about gay people, and I won't repeat any of those words. Um, and I remember my sister saying, like, like, what the heck? Where do you get the idea that God's so judgmental? And in my head, I'm like, you don't know God. What are you talking about? I, like, said, have you read the Bible? God is so judgmental. And I was so certain that she was an idiot. She doesn't know anything about God. And I was so right in my disgust of people that didn't live up to what I thought was right, right? I, I, was, I was so certain that not only were those people unacceptable by God, but also she was unacceptable by God because she didn't have right thinking about God like I did. Um, and my idea of God, I think, was that he was, he was a mad God. He kind of he hated sin. And I think, yes, God hates sin as in that it separates us from him. It's not his will. But like, he was a mad, angry God, and he was like dismissive, dismissive of people, and he was brash. And because of that view of God, I was slowly twisting in that way in my faith. I don't think I was a complete but, like in my life, but when it came to God stuff, I think I was kind of a but. Um, because I had this idea of who God was, and it, it was legalistic, and it twisted me. Um, and we're still, here's like what really sucks, and what Jesus kind of talks about the Pharisees, uh, is if you are legalistic, eventually you become a hypocrite. And if you're like me, you become a self-hater because you don't always have sinless days or hours. Um, you don't always live up to this idea of who you think God is or who he wants you to be. And so either you're a hypocrite and you hide it because, dang, I'm not going to let anybody see like the garbage inside of me, uh, or you rationalize it away and kind of like, I think that's a big thing for, for some ex-Pharisees like myself um, is that you like put the blame on other people, right? You become focused on that person's sin because it makes you not really think about your sin, right? You, you think about their sin or, wow, their sin's way worse than mine. And somehow you start rationalizing. You become a hypocrite. Or you become a self-hater where you just like are in depression every time that because of your hypocrisy, you know that you don't live up to it and you think, I suck. I am unlovable, and God probably doesn't love me because I suck and I'm unlovable. Legalism really sucks. It is not just like, oh, these people are so self-righteous, what a bunch of jerks. It really twists you. And if you, I don't know if there's anybody here that has struggled with that or has that, you can see that as truth. But legalism, the reason Jesus says the Pharisees' way is not good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven is it's totally not right. It, it's totally against God's will. Again, my transitions. Dang it. Okay. Uh, so I was going to say, because it makes us into grumpy Christians, because I used a grumpy cat last time, the problem with some people is that they exist. Um, ha, 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 ha. Uh, so anyway, we'll keep going. <laughs> Dang it. i got to work on my transitions. Uh, so uh, to quote the Reverend Bob Lehart, the bottom line. That's the bottom line. I love that. Uh, legalism 
it, in addition to it makes you a nasty person, a nasty Christian kind of on the inside, it denies the grace and mercy of God. Like legalism, by its definition, you do this to earn favor with God. You do this to be right with God. It denies that Jesus came to do all that for you, that you are incapable. We are incapable of achieving righteousness through our own efforts. Legalism, on top of messing you up, is it's a slap in the face of God because it's basically saying like, yeah, I know you died on the cross and your grace is awesome, and it never manifests like that. I'm going to tell you as someone that has struggled with this, you never think like, yeah, you died on the cross and you're awesome. But it's more, it's more insidious, but you really, you live by that, I have to do this to be um, right with God. And you kind of ignore the fact that you don't deserve to be right with God. You, you have not earned it. You cannot earn it. Um, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. That's why he gave the Beatitudes and he twisted things upside down. He was saying, you think God's this way. You think that he only lets these people in and he wants you to be perfect. But that's not how God is. God came, Jesus came and he said, God loves you first. God cares about you because you're his children and he will make a way for you to be right with him. Uh, this kind of explains what I was just saying in an actual verse. So, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So like by faith, not like by what I do, not by earning. Um, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do, I do not set aside the grace of God, which is what legalism does. It sets aside the grace of God and tries to get God to God in a different way. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, or for me, I didn't follow Jewish law, but perfection, uh, or tried to be perfect. Christ died for nothing. If, if you, if you f try to get to God or try to be righteous outside of accepting God's grace, you're basically denying that his sacrifice means, means anything. And really means everything, like everything. Um, so the last part of that, for uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That they will see God is like the promise of it, right? God says, Jesus says in that, if you are pure in heart, if you, if you don't follow the way of the Pharisees or legalism or try to earn my acceptance or God's acceptance or God's love, but if you do this with your heart, if you give my, your heart to me, you will see me, you will see God. The Pharisees, they thought they would see God. They really, really wanted to see God. They believed in the Messiah. They weren't just like evil people running around. Like they, they were the best of the best of the Jewish culture at that time, doing the best they could in the context that they had. But they thought that, thought that the only way to do that, how to bring the Messiah, was through the law. You have to be perfect. Ryan, little Ryan, uh, you didn't see middle school Ryan, good thing. But uh, I thought the same thing. I thought through perfection, if I am good enough, um, if I if I maintain my sin, right? Like the, when I was walking with my friend James, I remember thinking like, it's it's like crippling. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to not sin like actively. Like you're like constantly like like oh, there's a thought. Pull it back. Oh, like turn your head this way. Like it is it is so micromanaged, which I can only imagine the Pharisees felt. Like it, it drives you crazy. 
it, it kills you because you're constantly like obsessed with, am I doing the right thing? And you totally, that becomes your focus. You cannot keep your focus on God. You can't keep your heart and love on God because you're focused in on yourself so much. And more than that, in all of that craziness, I think you kind of start to resent God. Maybe you would never even like consciously know that, but you start to resent like God is a cool taskmaster and I have to walk this line and God's, I'm not saying God's a jerk, but in your head you, you're saying God's a jerk. Like he, he's a mean dad and I think it builds resentment. Legalism, it kills people. Um, but Jesus, he said they will see God through me. So he's saying like, yeah, you can follow the law. Well, he's saying, no, you shouldn't follow. Back up. Yes, the law. Uh, the way that they were doing it, trying, trying to achieve rightness with God, you can't do it that way. You can't be, do it through perfection or through your actions, but through Jesus. Would we accept Jesus with our hearts? We get to see God. In fact, when he said, only if your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, the only way to see God is through Jesus. There's no other way. No, nothing you can do or believe outside of accepting the grace and mercy of Jesus to see God, to be in his kingdom, um, which is crazy good news. That's like the gospel. That's, that's the good news that we're called to preach to people is that like just giving your heart over to Jesus, to God, um, that's how you see God. It's nothing that you do or earn. Jesus the Messiah brought the kingdom of God to us, despite our imperfections. Um, so remember, like the Pharisees, they thought if we do this, the Messiah will come. Jesus, again, flips it. He came and brought the kingdom despite our imperfections. He made the first move. We're asked to give our whole lives to God because he loved us first. Right living is definitely a part of walking with God. The Christian life is one of submission. Dusty talked last week about like mercy and how it's not easy, but it's right. Um, God calls us to do things that we know are right, but really, really are hard. Um, so to say, like, the Christian walk is, don't worry about how you act. It's, don't be legalistic. It, you just love God, and, and you're good. Like, Jesus calls us to more. He does call us to literally lay down our lives for him and for each other. That, that's a heavy burden. But he doesn't ask us to do it on our own or out of our own strength. God wants these things to come out of our love for him. He cares first about our hearts.